everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of the Dazon Digest. I'm April Dyer, a liaison clinical pharmacist with Dazon, and I will be your host for today's episode. The title of this episode is Metronidazole-Associated Neurotoxicity, and we will be discussing an article published in CID in April 2020 entitled Metronidazole-Associated Neurologic Events, a Nested Case Control Study. We are recording this episode on Wednesday, June 30th, 2021, so that we can release it a little early due to the upcoming holiday weekends. Before we jump into the study, I thought I would share some brief information on metronidazole with you. Metronidazole is approved by the FDA for the treatment of anaerobic and protozoal infections. Its antimicrobial effects are exerted through the production of free radicals that are toxic to the microbe. Most of you are probably familiar with metronidazole since it was the seventh most commonly used antimicrobial agent in the Dazon network in 2020 based on days of therapy. In the U.S., resistance to this agent remains rare among anaerobic bacteria. In fact, surveys have demonstrated that 95% of anaerobic isolates in the U.S. are metronidazole susceptible. We know that metronidazole freely crosses the blood-brain barrier and that CSF concentrations mimic serum concentrations. Seizures, peripheral neuropathy, dizziness, vertigo, ataxia, confusion, encephalopathy, irritability, weakness, insomnia, headache, and tremors have all been reported among patients who receive metronidazole, especially in patients who receive high doses of the drug. However, the incidence of these adverse effects was previously unknown. Let's discuss one of those case reports on neurologic events. In 1980, there is a documented case of encephalopathy and cerebellar dysfunction in a patient who had persistent B. fragilis in her blood, despite drainage of abscesses and several courses of clindamycin. The patient was prescribed an antibiotic regimen that included metronidazole, 750 milligrams every six hours for 28 days, and experienced clinical improvement. But then she developed paresthesias, described as burning in her hands and feet, and a global cerebellar syndrome that included ataxic gait and dysarthric speech. After stopping metronidazole, the encephalopathy and ataxia symptoms cleared in six days, but the paresthesia remained for four months and was treated with analgesics and vitamins. There are many cases like this in the medical literature that link metronidazole to neurologic events, but today we will discuss the first population-level systematic assessment of these adverse events. The study we are discussing today was a population-based nested case control study of adults 66 and older living in Ontario, Canada between April 1st, 2003 and March 31st, 2017. Cases were identified as any patient who had an emergency department visit or hospital admission with an ICD-10 code for a new diagnosis of encephalopathy, cerebellar syndrome, peripheral neuropathy, and who had a prescription for metronidazole or clindamycin, but not both, in the past 100 days. Each case was matched to 10 controls who did not have one of the diagnosis codes, but had received either clindamycin or metronidazole in the previous 100 days, were all alive on the date the case patient was diagnosed, were within one year of the same age, the same sex as the case patient, and had a hospital encounter in the preceding 100 days. Patients were excluded from both the case and control group if they were hospitalized for greater than three days in the 100 days preceding the index date since the database used for the study did not reliably capture inpatient medication administrations. 
Patients were also excluded if they had a diagnosis of encephalopathy, cerebellar syndrome, or peripheral neuropathy in the year prior to their incident diagnosis. Metronidazole and clindamycin exposure were defined as receiving at least one prescription for the respective medication overlapping the 100 days prior to the index rate. For secondary analyses, metronidazole cumulative exposure was assessed. Patients were classified by cumulative doses with low exposure defined as less than 9.9 grams, medium 9.9 to 19.9 grams, and high greater than 19.9 grams of metronidazole. Patient characteristics were also identified from the database and included age, sex, neighborhood income quintile, and rural versus urban residence location. Comorbidities were scored with a Deo-Charlson comorbidity score, and specific comorbidities thought to be associated with either metronidazole use or neurologic outcomes were also collected and include liver disease, alcohol use disorder, diabetes, and renal disease. The use of any antidepressants, antipsychotics, benzodiazepines, and opioids in the previous year was also captured. Patients' healthcare utilization was measured by capturing the number of emergency department visits and hospitalizations in the previous year. The statistical analysis used chi-square tests for categorical variables and Wilcoxon ranked some for continuous variables when comparing patient characteristics between cases and controls. The association between neurologic toxicity and metronidazole exposure using clindamycin as a reference exposure was measured with conditional logistic regression. The authors also calculated an unadjusted odds ratio, followed by an adjusted odds ratio and a 95% confidence interval using multivariable conditional logistic regression analysis with pre-specified inclusion of all patient demographics, comorbidities, and concomitant medication. The pre-planned secondary analyses examined for dose response by stratifying metronidazole use as low, medium, or high based on cumulative dose exposure. Regression analyses were also conducted for central and peripheral nervous system outcomes. Finally, the authors wanted to look at short-term neurologic toxicity in first-time metronidazole users and developed an inception cohort of these patients to identify the number of peripheral and central nervous system events in the population within 100 days. Now let's talk study results. During this 14 year period, the authors identified 78,439 older Ontarians who had their first hospital visit for encephalopathy, cerebellar dysfunction, or peripheral neuropathy. Out of these patients, 1,212 had metronidazole or clindamycin exposure, but not both, in the prior 100 days. These patients were successfully matched to 12,098 control patients. The median age of patients in the review was 78 years, and 57% of patients were women. Cases with neurologic events generally resided in lower income areas, had higher healthcare utilization rates, higher rates of liver disease, alcohol use, diabetes, and renal dysfunction. They were also more likely to be taking antidepressants, opioids, benzodiazepines, and antipsychotics. The authors found that neurologic events were associated with an increased odds of metronidazole exposure compared to clindamycin with an odds ratio of 1.72 and 95% confidence interval of 1.53 to 1.94. This association held true after accounting for patient demographics, healthcare utilization, and other medication exposures with an adjusted odds ratio of 1.43 and 
and 95% confidence interval of 1.26 to 1.63. In sensitivity analyses limited to CNS outcomes and peripheral neuropathy, this association between metronidazole and neurologic events still persisted. The authors did not see a clear dose response effect in the study. An increase in neurologic toxicity with metronidazole was present for low, medium, and high cumulative doses as compared to clindamycin. In separate analyses looking for CNS and peripheral nervous system toxicities, a dose response effect was still not identified. The incidence of neurologic events among the cohort of 33,425 patients receiving a first dose of metronidazole was 0.25% in the ensuing 100 days. CNS complications of encephalopathy or cerebellar dysfunction were diagnosed in 665 patients, or 0.2%, and peripheral neuropathy was diagnosed in 160 patients, or 0.05%. The authors were able to clarify the incidence of metronidazole neurotoxicity was low, even in a patient population we expected to be at higher risk for adverse events due to advanced age and comorbidities. While the incidence of these side effects seem low, it is also important to keep these findings in context. We should remember that 0.25% is on par with the incidence of other serious adverse events that have prompted FDA warnings for other drugs, such as fluoroquinolones. Also, while these adverse events are rare, they can be painful and debilitating for patients. Now let's talk about some of this study's strengths. The data sources for the study are from Canadian healthcare and insurance databases that are linked using unique coded identifiers. These databases are well validated and used very extensively for antibiotic research. Prior to this study, there were nearly 100 published case reports of metronidazole associated central and peripheral nervous system toxicity. However, this study is the first systematic review of these events at the population level. And the authors also used a comparator drug in this study, clindamycin. However, the study also has some limitations. It's retrospective. However, it's important to factor in that it would have been difficult to power a prospective randomized trial to detect this association. Data capture also relies on ICD-10 codes. And since patients had to be treated in the emergency department or as hospital inpatients, this study may have undercaptured neurologic events, particularly events that were mild enough in the outpatient setting. The only accessible patient population for this study was 66 and older. It had lots of comorbidities and concomitant medications. Therefore, the results may not be generalizable to younger, healthier patient populations. The results of this study do not identify a dose response effect for metronidazole and neurologic adverse events. Despite this being a published finding in case studies and previous systematic reviews, this is in contrast to what is reported in the literature, and it may indicate a, publish, a publication bias in the existing literature, but it could also be due to how authors define high, medium, and low metronidazole exposure. Clindamycin and metronidazole both cover anaerobes, but each drug also has unique indications, which may mean they're not identical comparators. Finally, the mechanism of metronidazole-associated neurotoxicity is still unknown. So what do the results of this study mean for you in clinical practice? Since we now have a better idea of the frequency at which metronidazole-associated neurologic events occur in older adults, it is important to counsel patients on the risks of neurotoxicity with metronidazole, 
and encourage patients to go to the doctor if they experience signs of adverse neurologic events. When prescribing metronidazole, remember that patients with concomitant liver disease, renal disease, alcohol use, and those who use neurotropic medications are at increased risk and should be monitored closely for CNS toxicity. If you identify one of these events, it should be reported to the FDA MedWatch system. And even though a cumulative dose response was not identified, it is important when we prescribe metronidazole or any antibiotic to use an appropriate dose and avoid excess durations of therapy when treating patients with infections. In summary, the authors performed a large population-based nested case control study of adults 66 years of age and older who live in Ontario, Canada from April 2003 to March 17. They found an association between adverse neurologic events and the use of metronidazole as compared to clindamycin. The magnitude of that change was larger than the one seen with any other identified patient characteristic or medication. And this change persisted regardless of the patient's cumulative dose of metronidazole. They concluded that metronidazole is associated with increased risk of peripheral and central nervous system events as compared to clindamycin, and stated that clinicians and patients should be aware of these rare but serious adverse events. Thank you for tuning in to episode 16 of the Days on Digest. I hope you have a great holiday weekend.